The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Stallion, today's podcast is about failing. And when you think about failure, sometimes that can be a gut-wrenching, maybe bad memory that sticks with you. But I think a failure is an opportunity for learning, right? There truly should be no failing. It should be successes or lessons learned. And I want to agree. I want to want to kind of set this this podcast up today by talking a little bit about things that we've been learning, right? You and I have had a chance to be around some really high power people, uh, people that have negotiated, you know, billion dollar businesses before. And we're learning from that. And through that learning, it allows us to kind of reflect back to our past and things that happen or didn't happen perfectly for us. So I want to take you back. Give me one example of a deal that you did in your past that based upon what you know now that you would do differently. I guess I'll start with one of the early ones is um, I did some private mortgages for some folks, right? Right when I was transitioning from the mortgage business, I had a lot of people still contacting me for, you know, mortgage advice and things like that. And two people back to back were looking for a mortgage that couldn't get approved from a regular traditional loan. But I looked at it, I was like, man, this makes sense. Like I underwrote the loan. I'm like, they are a good risk to lend to. Right. Um, And what I did is I partnered with somebody and we both put our own capital into the deal and they were 15 year mortgages. And I think what I would do differently now from that learning opportunity is I was like, man, this is great. I'm getting a good rate of return. It's totally passive, but I had locked up my liquidity for potentially 15 years. So you had taken money that you had access to and lent to someone else. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, man, this is great until I started seeing all these other opportunities that Mm -hmm. I could have taken advantage of that were, faster and potentially higher rates return or more cash flow coming to me. And I immediately was like, oof, I wish that I had utilized other people's money so that my money was accessible for some of these other deals. And so that's that's what I would do differently. What about well, you? Well, well, first, before you do that, because I think that that's interesting, right? Like someone listening to you right now may have the question of when would you ever use your own money? What would your answer be to them? Um, in the deals that either I didn't 100% feel confident with other people's money, it just wasn't like a no-brainer like opportunity, and I was I was willing to take a little bit more risk myself, right? But I saw the upside and I felt confident about it. Um, that's what I would do. That makes sense. I mean, I think that I love that because when you find a deal that you knew, right? You had a mortgage background, you knew the terms, you knew how much was going down, you knew the fact that the the worst case scenario, right? We take this home back and we're still gonna be good, right? Cause we've right. got down payments, we've got fast paying mortgages, all of that. 
there's really little risk. Why wouldn't you use someone else's money? I love that answer. Exactly. Scott. Yeah. What What about you? You obviously had something you've learned from. <laughs> well, here's what I've learned. And by the way, this isn't unique to me. I think maybe I've learned it through the observation of other highly successful people. But the first investment that I did, right, like outside of the traditional Wall Street stuff, was I bought a little condo down in a college town. And what I learned from that one experience is that if you really want to scale, never buy a single property. Hmm. A single property has no place in your portfolio. And here's why. Because it has one opportunity for a water leak. It has or a hundred percent opportunity for a water leak in your portfolio. It has a hundred percent opportunity for it to be vacant and to cause you frustration, and has a hundred percent opportunity to put about two hundred bucks in your pocket. <laughs> That's it, <laughs> right? Like I, I've listened to so many highly successful people, people who have hundreds of thousands of dollars a year coming in to passive income, and they said the worst mistake I ever made was buying one rental property. I should have never bought one rental property. I should have scaled my uh, my business. I should have went in. If I was going to buy one, I should have bought 10 immediately. And if I was going to buy 10, why didn't I just buy a whole apartment complex? Why didn't I buy a hotel, right? Instead of buying all those little green houses, you should have upgraded your thought process, your mindset, and gone to a scaling ability. Like we talked to Bryce Robertson, right? One of the things that he said immediately was, you know, the first deal I did was, a, a you know, a, um, a mobile home park. But then when I talked to my buddy, he was like, why did you only do this many units? Why didn't you do five times that? And right. I think that that was a failure I had is that my mindset was not big enough. I thought, well, I just need to stick my toe in the water, but that was the wrong mindset. I think now knowing what I know, I would have scaled bigger. I would have went. I would have went bigger and allowed myself to not have the, the the pain and issues I dealt with with that one single unit for so many years. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, and if you're hearing that for the first time and thinking, "Oof, that's challenging," like that's what this show is all about, right? This is our own journey we're sharing with you and these coaches. We're about to jump into the inner circle with them that this roundtable uh, was was recorded on and they're sharing their lessons so that you don't have to learn them yourself, right? You don't have to fail forward in the same way that we did. Hopefully you'll fail bigger, faster and get to your financial freedom goals uh, faster. If, by the way, if you haven't already talked to one of these coaches, get with them, go to wealthofthatwallstreet.com forward slash free call so that you can get started on your journey. Now, Russ, let's not hold up any more time. Let's step up to the table and let's belly up. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the Financial Freedom Roundtable, where each week we break down complex financial topics so that you can more easily understand them, and more importantly, take action 
on your path to becoming financially free. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. Grateful to have you in the room. I'm Russ Morgan. They call me the idea guy, mostly because I could follow through guy. Just didn't sound so cool. But enough about me for a second. Let me introduce you to my co-host, my partner, the Italian Stallion. He's got the license plate cover to prove it. Mr. Joey Murray. Stallion, good afternoon. Man, it, you're you're a sight for sore eyes, bro. I'm, I'm glad to see you here. I didn't expect you to be here, but glad you made it. Dude, I, I am about to hit the road heading to Hotlanta to watch my Braves play for the whole weekend. It's a rematch of last year's uh, World Series, and I, I couldn't miss it, but also I could not miss this because it would be a failure for me to miss. Mm. I thought you were going to make some sort of comment about the Braves and failure, but I'm I'm just going to leave that out. I'm going to leave it out. Um, their their year hasn't gone so well this year so far, but it's okay. I, just, I mean, just so I know, I mean, I just want to be up to date. Like, help help me understand how the Braves are doing, Joey. Well, you just you just told me they got trounced. Uh, was it was it Houston that trounced them the other day in a uh, five game series? No, we're about to play Houston. Oh, okay. Wait. Okay. It, it was the Mets, but that's old news, bro. Okay, we've won, just, we've won eight out of nine. You were crying, games. Listen, you were crying on my shoulder. I didn't. I, mean, I just assumed that that was failure. But, but we'll move on. We'll move yeah, on. I, no, it's not failure. And by the way, we have learned from that failure. We've beat them two out of the last three. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna take action tonight. It's gonna be good news. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move away from you though, because this is, this is no good, man. Thankfully. To my left, I got Mr. Incredible, his superpower, speed to financial freedom, and the real beauty of that speed. It is contagious. My man, Mr. J.D. Hill. Say hello to your fans, J.D. Hey, fans. Uh, Russell, thank you for that. Um, that wonderful, wonderful intro. That was great. Thank you. Uh, hey, look, for those um, who are watching live, they realize they experienced a little failure. But thankfully, what I've learned from failure is that I'm able to hire podcast editors to cut that out, man. They don't even know about it. So, so the people listening to this right now will never know that you butchered my intro. Nope. It sounded good to me. Didn't it to you? You're right down the road. You're like, it's, that was pretty good, man. <laughs> that was really good. Jeff, uh, which is timely, which is really timely for our, uh, our uh, episode that we're talking about today. Uh, lessons from failure, which I got to say, I, I, I actually love this topic. Um, I love a lot of our topics. This one, I actually, I, I love as well. Uh, so I'm excited to to dig into this one. But why would you love failure so much? Man, without failure, how do you learn? Right? Like failure is an opportunity for learning. And to me, it's a mind shift change. You have to you have to change the way you look at what failure is. And so I'm excited to to dig into this. Okay. Well, I prefer to learn from other people's failure, but it, unfortunately, I, I experience it a lot on my end as well. But Let's let's dig in this a little bit deeper with the financial Sherlock Holmes. No problem too difficult to solve. If I'd just only known him earlier, I'd been so much richer, says everybody. Mr. Downtown, Ernie Brown. Nice to see you, Ern. And it's nice to be seen. Can I be a little contrarian on this? I am not excited about this topic. Okay, tell me more. Failure is is just not something that I'm comfortable with, naturally. Mm -hmm. My investor DNA would say that I struggle with failure, that I don't embrace it, that I don't love it. Mm. Shocking that that's opposite of you, Russ. But I'm just <laughs> going to be honest. I, 
I am looking forward to the discussion because I think I have a lot to learn, a lot to remember, a lot to realize. I need my vision raised of why this is so good, but just naturally, I don't love this. Maybe, maybe Mark will be a little bit with me here. I don't know. Man, I, I feel like you were putting me in a, in a judgment seat there. Like I've experienced so much that I must love it. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm sorry. I hope you didn't take it that way. I just know you're a Braves fan. <laughs> oh, uh, Hey, look, Hey, I am a Braves fan, just like you're a Georgia Bulldog. And both of us experienced success last year. Did we not? It, in the baseball and yes, yes. Not okay. equally in the college football arena, but yes. No, I, it was a good year for us Atlanta baseball. fans. They, they play baseball. They don't play great. Football. It's great to be from Georgia. That's yeah. Hey, that hey, is true. All good with that. By the way, you mentioned something. I think that this is a point worth noting. And a second ago, before we press uh, record, Joey and JD's children were on and they were just talking back and forth. And I love that. But one of the things that we all were taught as kids, as we went to school, was perfection, right? We were taught not to like failure because every test we took had an expectation or a, a, a goal of reaching 100%, right? Well, every single time, that we didn't hit that perfect mark, we experienced failure. And I think that that's what's hampered 93% of our population to not be entrepreneurial is because they have not um, accepted the idea that success doesn't have to meet perfection, right? Failure is a part of learning. And we'll talk a little more about that. All right, I'm, I'm gonna slow my roll. Get over to the retiree of our group, Mr. Catch Me If You Can. When he's not killing bears with his bare hands or spear diving for tuna, he's right here dropping gold nuggets. The one and only Mark Caraguchi. Welcome, Mark. Oh, man. Good afternoon. I, I mean, if, if we're talking about failure, I, I think we just all need to realize that, you know, it's not all going to be 100 unicorns, rainbows, cotton candy, you know, you know oh. sunshine on the shoulder every single day. Um, oh. So let's just embrace it. Let's get out of the way. Rip the Band-Aid off and, and, and let's let's just move on with it because it's going to happen with it, whether you want to admit it or not. But how you deal with it, that's going to make the difference. I was yeah. wondering how, how long we'd get into this podcast before someone would start just lambasting the 100 unicorns. I mean, thank you, Mark. You, you far exceeded my expectations. Well, I, it's it's impressive that people even remember the hundred unicorns based upon how poor they are, and how uh, and the lack of profitability within the hundred unicorns. They should be long since forgotten. Like, I mean, I think we had a conversation in March of 2021 where I said, "Let's cut them off. Let's get hey, them out of here." They're 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 in the stable. They're just taking a rest right now. Uh, they need to be reinvigorated. By the way. I'm open to, to to partnerships. I mean, I am. If you if you know anybody that wants to revive the hundred unicorns, oh uh, let me know. Yeah, that'd be a heck of a partnership for somebody. <laughs> All right, let's let's break this topic down. And like we do every week, we try to take it from a couple of different angles. I know there's going to be lots of stories that's going to come out of this. Which is the beauty of this coaching environment is we are experiencing some level of success or failure constantly and while we can use that to 
our benefit, right? We can learn from others. So this is why this is such a good podcast. I'm glad you're listening to it. So the the first one is ultimately getting ourselves around a definition of failure, understanding what that even looks like. And I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here. Uh, years ago, I was given a little bitty small book written by Dan Sullivan called "The Gap and the Game." You ever read that uh, stallion? I've not read it, but I know you've referenced it many times. Well, it's a great book for many reasons, but one is that you have to define what either success or failure is, and then you have to measure it in some meaningful way because, you know, not everybody, one of our mentors says, it's nice when you say, hey, just because Joey did that, I can do that. But that's not true. It's not true that you can do what someone else has done because you don't sit in the same seat as them. You don't have the same vantage point. You don't have the same support network. You don't have the same team of people helping you push to get there, right? You may be, you may have a better team. You may have a worse team, right? Just because someone else did it doesn't mean that needs to be your measuring stick. So the book, The Gap in the Game, helps us understand that we should not be measuring against the horizon, right? Like, Joe, if you get on a boat, and you head out into the ocean, you, you're not going to see anything out there. It's just this horizon. You keep trying to get there, and it's never going to be attainable. And for people who are perfectionists in nature, it's a struggle because they're always trying to obtain that perfection. Well, the book, The Gap of the Game, broke down this in a different way. It said, hey, what we should measure is not against that forward. We should measure against the back. Because otherwise, we're always going to be living in that gap. And we're always going to have this discontentment, this feeling that I'm a failure, feeling that I haven't measured up, which you actually could be making tremendous strides. So for me, as I look at defining failure, one, I have to understand what success looks like. Mark, how would you define failure? What would be your vantage point or your viewpoint on this? Your inability to learn from the experience. If you choose to not learn from that moment, then that is the fail. Uh, if, go back to um, you know any any mistake that you've made, right? You know, take like sports or whatever. You know, you I, I played volleyball, so you you someone sets you the ball, you're the outside hitter, you run, you jump, and you miss the ball. Well, if you just said, oh well, I, I guess I'm just not meant to do this. I, I I just can never hit the ball. Why don't you learn from that? Why? Why didn't you connect with the ball? Oh, you mistimed the set. You mistimed the rotation. You mistimed how, how quickly things were going to move, how quickly you could get there. And so now you learn from that and you make adjustments and now you can move forward. So now all of a sudden missing that one hit, that's not a failure in and of itself. If you continue to do the same thing over and over again, well, that's going to be the fail. But learning from the experience, that's, to, to me, that, that's how you overcome the failure. And when you don't, then now that is a failure. Well, I mean, you just said the word hit. I was talking about baseball a second ago. Hall of Famers reach Hall of Famer level, Ernie, at what level? At what batting average is a, a standard in which people would say, man, that person's a Hall of Famer? I don't know. I would guess when they bat 300. Yeah, 300 is an amazing mark. We used to refer to that as the Freeman level, the Freddie Freeman level. Whenever he defected to the Dodgers, I quit calling it the Freeman, right? But that that is true, right? If you if you can be right three out of ten times in baseball, like and do it for an extended period of time, you're, you're a guarantee into Cooperstown. And in the investment world, right? 
what is it? How do we define failure, though? What's your expectation or how would you define it? You talking to me, Russ? I'm still talking to you on this one. I'm sorry. I I had a failure to communicate there. (laughs) (laughs) You ask in the investment world. I I would say, well, I don't want to. Well, I will be so polar to say that if you know better, you shouldn't. If you're investing in the stock market, you are doing what you know you should not be doing. And that is a failure. Conversely, mm. that same person Get knows em. that they should be doing something else. When you when you don't do what you know that you should do. Wait, wait. Okay. I wanna I'm gonna ask a question about that. You're saying that someone listening to our show right now knows not to invest in Wall Street, any sort of Wall Street kind of vehicle, the market, your 401k, whatever, but they're choosing to do it, and that's a fail. That that is a fail because they have been exposed to something else that creates a much better result, much more success. Because I think failure is always related to success and anything that that misses the mark. When you when you do something you're not supposed to do, or when you do not do something you should do, you're you're missing the mark in success. And well, so why, why would they continue to do it if they know that it's not necessarily the best for them? I don't know. Maybe we should ask them. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I think I think maybe there might be a little bit of fear. There might okay. be a little bit of uh, Russ. You mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, ninety three percent of us have been educated to avoid failure. And I'll be honest, I'm a I am certainly identify in that ninety three percent. I'm not part of the seven percent. And so I think there's a little just a little bit of training, some habits. So fear habits, maybe a little bit of lethargy, not don't see this as such a a great thing. Don't have such a compelling vision to make a change to put the effort in. Those would be some of the reasons, Joey. Let let me let me ask this. Or actually, I'm going to make a statement. At the risk of failure, do we choose failure? At the risk of failure, do you choose failure? Right now, what Ernie just said is polarizing. It should actually kind of like hit you in the stomach a little bit. If you're choosing to continue to invest in the same things that you've always invested in because you're afraid of failing. Literally, that is a choice. So when we're just, def- I, I, here's, can I put some skin around this a little bit? Hey, when we're talking about failure, trying to define what it is, I also, in order to find it, like you, you think of um, what, what branch of government researches the, the dollar the most, like the counterfeit dollar the most. What, what, what group is that? Is that the FBI? Secret, they, Service. Secret Service. All right. So the Secret Service are in charge of going after counterfeit dollars, right? Yes. What is it that they do in order to know what a counterfeit looks like? They make it. <laughs> they they know so much what the real thing looks like. They study they, the real thing. They study the real thing so much that anything counterfeit is obvious to them, right? And I would say that many of us listening to this right now, would not know the difference between a counterfeit dollar, a, you know, a well-done one, and the real thing. Because we have not spent those hours researching what the real thing looks like. 
So to the point you were making a second ago, Ernie, I, man, I, I'm prayerful that the people listening to this right now have been studying what success in finance looks like. They, they have defined it as passive income being greater than monthly expenses. But most people have not, right? Like they, they wouldn't even see investing in the market in the accumulation approach as being failing because they've never had the real thing showed to them. They've never studied the real thing enough. This podcast is amazing, almost too amazing, Russ. There's too many ideas and I don't know where to get started creating passive income. Well, here's the thing, Joey. I think one of the things you need to consider in that statement is what is it costing you to not know? What is it costing you not to take action? I love the statement that says you don't have to be great to start. You just have to start to be great. If you're struggling on where to start, you have to know what type of investor you are. Know your investor DNA. And if you want to learn more about this, you can join us in our Passport Challenge at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport. Get started today. Now, I, I've left you out of this conversation, J.D. I, I didn't do that personally. Jump in there, man. Help, help me understand, how would you define failure? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's hard to jump in there, you know, uh, with all you guys just going after it. Um, I, I would echo all the sentiments everybody has shared so far. I think so far in our culture, um, or so much in our culture, rather, we communicate or we, we view failure um, as losing, Right. So if you fail, you've lost. And, you know, if you were to ask my oldest, because I know he would remember, because we talk about this often, if you were to ask him, you know, what's the only way that you can fail, he would tell you is if you quit. Because that's what I've taught him. The only way that you can fail is if you quit. And that's why, you know, there's three rules that I teach my boys that I don't care about outcomes. I just care about these three things. I want you to try your best don't quit and have a great attitude because you can't fail. Right. As long as you do those things. Um, and so to me, failure, that's why I said at the beginning, it's, it's, it's learning. Right. So, um, I didn't grow up in an affluent family. Um, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and you know, there was a period of time, uh, in about four years that we were, um, we lived in six houses cause we kept getting evicted. <laughs> and, uh, and then at one point during that time frame, we actually lived with another family in a duplex. So me, my mom, my sister, and my dad, all four of us lived in one, in one of the bedrooms of this two, two, uh, bedroom duplex with another family. Cause we were basically homeless. And for two years we were adopted for Christmas. Um, and I, I vividly remember like this entire season of my life where we live, the people that we hung out with, the generosity of other people. But what was interesting is my mom actually gave my dad an ultimatum and said, it's either us and the kids or it's the alcohol. You have to choose. And when my dad chose to stop drinking, he like everything in our life radically changed. And so like he started a business, uh, he got into oil and gas and things literally just changed for us. But what I realized as I look back on all that is if my family would have just quit, like that would have been my life today. Like they literally just would have stopped and said, well, this is it. We can't do anything else. That would be my life. But because they chose not to quit because they chose to learn, um, I'm, I'm able to do the things that I'm able to do today. And I'm just, I'm super, super grateful for that. So for me, when I look at failure, it's, it's not losing, right? It's quitting. If you quit, you fail. 
Uh, unless you're quitting drinking, smoking, unless or doing drugs. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Be a quitter. It's okay to be a quitter in those, right? So let, let's talk 100%. about this. Yes. I, I, I want to jump into the second point, which is being in good company. I'm not talking about the movie here. Joey, what would what would being in good company a failure? What does that look like? How does that how does that help us? Well, I I think it's it's pretty commonplace knowledge that anybody who has been successful has had to fail at some level or another. So the idea that we would run away from failure is absurd, right? It's, it's, we now granted, should we seek it out and try to like fail on a regular basis? I don't, I mean, some people would be polar on that and say, yeah, you got to fail fast, fail forward. No, my point is, is don't, don't be fearful to fail because it's part of the process of success in a financial, in your own financial journey, in the, the passive income journey that we talk about on this show all the time. Rarely do you start in one strategy that just um, amazingly brings you to financial freedom immediately, right? Russ and I have shared on the show multiple times, like, I mean, I, I got into things because I was looking at ROI, like um, a diamond stock that ends up being completely worthless. My Roth IRA that I put more money in over a, a period of about seven years than I had in a balance at the end of the seven years. Like these are not successes, but what did they teach me all along the way? That is not getting me to the goal that I have set for myself. And so anyways, I, I say we're in good company because people who are successful in any walk of life have had to fail. What would you well, add to that, Ernie? Well, I, I, hold on one second, because I oh. was thought you were going to say <laughs> that your, your failures was because you weren't in good company, that you were trying to make all of these decisions based upon bad company, right? I mean, the, the Bible is very clear that we that we should not be putting uh, our pearls before swine, right? That we should, you know, that bad company corrupts good morals. I, I feel like you were just running in the wrong crowd, man. You should have got in the into the be, the better crowd. Is that is that a is that not the case? Well, I mean, I was never I was stuck in the Wall Street world, man. I was in the banking. I was in the belly of the beast. No, no, no wonder I didn't have good ideas. I didn't have good understanding of financial freedom. Right. Well, I, I mean, so that, that is the point of the inner circle, is it not? Is that not the reason why we have the inner circle so that we can have ways for people to connect? be around other people striving for higher levels because it is the crab in the barrel deal. You all know it. You have friends who are happy wallering in the mud. And and the best thing that uh, that they will try to do if you hang around them is get you dirty, is to drag you down into that. You have to have people that are constantly bringing you up. We were on a podcast interview the other day and and the the guy told us, he said, you know, the, the thing that I want to be around is people who bring me up, who who raise my lid, because I want to be able to be. I know I'm in the right crowd when I walk up to somebody and I say, man, let me tell you about the deal I'm working on. Let me tell you about how good things are and how if I could only accomplish this, man, things couldn't be any better. And he said, I just want the person to put their arm around me, give me a little hug and be like, that's cute. But let me give you a different vantage point. Let me show you what I see. Let me 
Let me give you opportunities that you have not even considered because they are so much higher than the level in which you're shooting for. That's when you know you're in good company. Earn, what's your thoughts? Well, to be honest, my thoughts is this is just humbling to hear this, honestly, because much of the same as what Joey was saying, uh, so much of my financial exposure uh, was, was out, in a sense, out of my control. We can't choose the situation that we're born into, as JD was sharing a little bit about. And I remember when I was 18, uh, the most successful p- person I could think of at the time was my grandmother's financial advisor. And when she passed away, this guy came from like Delaware down to Georgia to visit with my mom and and have a financial meeting. He helped me set up a Roth IRA because that was what he told me to do. That was the best. That was the best that I could come up with. That was the that was all the ideas that I was exposed to. And then so so thankfully. I got connected with you guys in 2016 and that 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 gap in time I hadn't grown much because I wasn't getting exposed to ideas started getting engaged with you guys and learning saw some of your failures right but saw many more of your successes and that has raised my lid and now I get to choose do I want to continue to put myself in places where I can raise my lid further and just because I've been exposed to it and and that was brought to me first. So for somebody who is listening to this and, and would say maybe some of the excuses is I'm I'm not exposed to good ideas. I have a lack of ideas. Well, if you're hearing this, here's your opportunity to go further, uh, to to change direction and come into the inner circle and hear ideas. Next month in the inner circle, we're doing a training on how to raise capital to do to do deals with friends and family, and that is such that's an exciting opportunity in in my mind, and I'm so excited that we get to to host that training for our community members. And if you're looking for ideas like that or ideas you don't even know that exist and get exposed to those, that's where running in good company can benefit you. Totally. How about you, Mark? Russ, how many times did you try to be a a landlord? A handful. A handful, and then you quit and moved on. I did. Um, What if you had tried 408 times to be a successful landlord? Um, It would have hurt, but I think I'd probably be a lot better at it. Probably a lot better, and it probably would have taken someone along the way to help you. So, I mean, look no further than 409, right? 409, the cleaning spray. It took two uh, scientists up in Detroit 408 tries until they were satisfied on the 409th that that could be the solution that could be used. So you're talking about running in good company. It's nice not to be a soldier of one because how many projects have we all done on our own where you get to a point and you go, eh, <laughs> that's good enough, I'm done. That, that, that's about as far as I need to go. But if somebody else was there with you, a community or a partner or whatever to say, you can do better. We can do better. Let's, let, let's try one more time. So that's what these two guys did to get to the 409th try. So being in good company, that's having people around you who are going to push you to be your best and not accept mediocrity. So that's how I want to look at being in good company is people that are going to compel me to excel and push forward and help raise that bar and say, come on, one more set. 
if you're at the gym, come on, just one more set. Just, 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 just one more rep. That's all you got to do. And if you can do that one extra and have those people to compel you to move forward, that's going to be the company that gets you further along the road. Uh, I love that. How do we become failure resistant, Stallion? Failure resistant. Mm. I think by continuing to learn from each other, from our own examples, from the things that we have failed on the last time, uh, like to be honest, I will never operate a drop shipping company ever, right? It's just never going to happen. Uh, 100 unicorns is a great opportunity for somebody who knows how to operate it and somebody who can actually grow it and develop it. Um, I'll say this from the standpoint of becoming resistant, to be honest, I, I want to hear from some of our coaches on this. Like JD and I were talking about some of the things that he's faced. And I just I want to hear your thoughts on this, JD. Becoming failure resistant. Yeah. Um, so, so real quick, cause I, I love the study of words. Etymology is fascinating to me. Uh, not to belabor this, but the definition of failure is the condition or fact of not achieving the desired end or ends. And so I think that's interesting. We put this into context, right? If my goal, the desired end result that I'm trying to achieve is financial freedom, right? That's, that's what I'm setting out to achieve. I only fail if I stop trying to achieve that. Right. That doesn't mean that if I want to get into long-term rentals and I'm like, you know what, this isn't for me, I'm going to try something different. That doesn't mean that I failed. Right. And so I, I think it's important just to understand those dynamics um, that it's in context to what is the overall bigger goal. So the way you become failure resistant from my perspective is you just, you don't quit, you keep going. And I can tell you that. So actually when I first got into short-term rentals, um, I bought a short-term rental course and it was like a DIY course. It was really well put together, but it wasn't enough for me. I needed more. And so I then hired a coach and that coach helped me connect the dots to get to where I needed to go to be able to actually um, achieve um, the things that I wanted to, to, to actually achieve. And so for, for us, it was that we weren't going to, um, we weren't going to stop trying to get there. We were going to invest more and, and surround ourselves with the right people uh, in order to actually achieve what it was that we were trying to set out to do. Mark, how do we become failure resistant? We've got to go back to the beginning. Every single person listening to this podcast, at least at one point in their life, was fearless. You, you had absolutely no regard for failure because failure was not an option. It wasn't in your vocabulary, literally and figuratively. But we all had a moment in time where each of us was fearless. And so you didn't care. And that was when we were all trying to learn how to walk. You weren't overcome with this fear of failure. You didn't care what everybody thought. You, you weren't worried what, what the other kids in the playpen were thinking or what your parents were thinking. You just kept pushing because you knew that's what I needed to do. Failure was not an option. So to become failure resistant, I, I want you to, to again, just like what JD said, let's challenge the word failure, right? If you think that just because your first long-term rental didn't pay money for 10 out of the 12 months that the renter was in there because he decided he was going to use your long-term rental as a dump storage facility, like the guy did for me in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, if anyone finds that guy, let him know I want my 10 months of rent back. 
Um, <laughs> if you look at that as a failure, well, well come on now. No, it, it's not a failure. Let's learn from it. How do we insulate? How do we protect? How do we become resistant to failure? Well, let's learn from all the experiences we get. And if you're learning, then you're not failing. Right. So we just got back from the land flipping boot camp in San Antonio, Texas. And I was around a lot of different people who have been buying and selling land. Mark Podolsky talked about that he had bought, Joey, how many pieces of land over the last 15 years, 20 years? Over 6,000. Okay. How many of them has he sold for a loss? Zero. What is his desired annual return? 72%. Has he achieved 72% on every one of those 6,000 plus properties? No. No. My guess is early on, he didn't have as much success as he's had probably recently, right? It, it, there, there was a professor, an art professor that brought in students and divided the rooms into two parts. And on one side of the room, he said, you're, you're going to be graded over this semester based upon the quantity of art you produce. This amount of pounds is an A, this amount of pounds is a B, so forth and so on. He took the other half and said, your grade is going to be dependent solely on quality. I'm going to measure it against the highest standard of art. I don't care how many pieces. I just want one. Bring your best one to me, and I'm going to measure it based upon perfection A, slightly less at B and C, right? Now, it's the, which one of the two do you think got the best grade, Sally? I think, it, well, the, the first group, the one that was just doing tons of art. Yeah. Which one of the two do you think produce actually the highest quality of art? The first one. The first one, because what did they do? They just, they would produce a piece of art, put it in a pile, produce a second piece of art, put it in a pile, just kept doing it. And every repetition they made, they learned something they didn't have before. Like, oh, well, if we do this, we do this. Not only is it more efficient, but also it looks better. As compared to the other group who would start and say, no, that's not perfect. Rip it up, start again, right? And so what I would say is that Mark Podolsky didn't sell 6,000 pieces of property trying to reach 72% on it, a yield on every single one of those. It was buy property, sell property, buy property, sell property, repeat, 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 right? That's right. All right, so to me, that's how you become failure resistant is that you keep going. You you keep improving upon the process, but completing it, making a full revolution every single time. The book, Good to Great, right? We start talking about the concept of the flywheel. And the flywheel is the idea that we're going to create leverage and start pushing on this big wheel, right? And the first couple of revolutions that it makes, it's not moving that fast. But once it gets going, just like passive income. When you and I started two years ago, we had $2,500 a month of passive income. It, that, what, it, took a, it took a lot, to your point, Mark, earlier, asking me about how many homes did I have to own in order to create that, and Joey have to create that. But as we started finding more ways to start, we became resistant to failure because we were able to get that momentum, get velocity. What else would you add to that point? You asking me, Russ? I'm asking whoever has an answer who wants to. <laughs> well, I, I think here, here's the reality. If the fear of failure is holding you back, the whole point of today is to, to say, man, there's so much better on the other side of failure, right? 
the the other side of failure is actually where true success lies. And I'm gonna I'm gonna quote C.S. Lewis here uh, to kind of round out my final thoughts on this subject. And it's a little bit of a stretch because he's talking about the gospel, right? He's not talking about um, financial freedom per se, but I would say financial freedom without spiritual freedom is worthless anyway. Um, But here's what he said. He said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And what I would say to that is, man, are you too easily pleased with your current financial situation? Are you too easily pleased with the idea of just getting by and just surviving into with this, this mystical, mythical retirement time frame. Life is so much grander when you shoot for the, the fence and you go and you fail forward. That's my final thought. JD, what's your final thought? My final thoughts are uh, because I used to be plagued by the fear of failure uh, all my life because of what I lived through and what I saw. I always... Like failure was the thing that actually motivated me and drove me. Um, but I think, you know, there's this quote that says, we spend so much time being afraid of failure and afraid of rejection, but regret is the thing we should fear the most. And I heard a quote before that says, um, the pain of, of failure weighs ounces, but the pain of regret, regret weighs tons. And I think that if, if you allow failure to be the thing that holds you back, it's ultimately going to be regret that you care that carries the most weight in your life. And so fail forward, be, be okay with making mistakes because that's necessary. Um, so that's, those are my, those are my, my, my parting thoughts. Love that. Earn. Man, it's getting intense. We're talking about ultimates here. What's the greatest thing? Is it regret? Is it, do we want to fail forward? I, I'll take, I'll take my, my turn. I'll say, fail forward, but fail together. I would wager that the thing that we're most afraid of is being alone. A baby crying in the dark is afraid because it's alone. And how can, how, what is our, our greatest chance of overcoming failure is not gritting it out. It's having the encouragement from people who have done it before us, who can, who can lead us forward, people to, to fail with us and, and share stories but also the encouragement that we can have people failing behind us and the encouragement that we can give to them. So I'd say fail together. Failure is, in a sense, the highway to success. And if that's true, I'm talking to myself, uh, we're going to fail. Might as well fail together. Let's let's enjoy the failure together. Final thought. Mark Haraguchi. Failure is not to be avoided. It's going to happen. And there's a reason we have WD-40. It's because they didn't quit at WD-39. Final thought. Man, that is so good. I, <laughs> I, I'm going to struggle to beat that one. I, I'm going to repeat something I've said over and over again, but I feel like it's such a, a great analogy. Our, our mentor, Nelson Nash, used to give this 
every single time he would do one of his workshops, he would pull out a penny and he would he'd draw a circle around it and he would say, Mark, everything you know sits within inside that circle. Everything that you don't know is touching the edge of it. And then he'd pull out a quarter and draw a circle around it. He says, see, now what's happened, Mark, is your knowledge has grown, hasn't it? But also what else has grown? Because everything that's touching that circle, that larger circle than the penny, now are all the things that you don't know. And then he'd take a cup and put it over the top of it, obviously dwarfing the penny and the quarter circle. As we continue to learn, what we're going to learn is that there's so much to learn from. And we have to be aware of that. We can't arrive at knowledge. And through our successes or failures, are we measuring, are we learning in that process? So that way we can measure backwards, as I said before, against where we've come from. I hope this episode was helpful to you. Hopefully there was a nugget or two that inspires you, that helps you not sit on the couch, keeps you from saying, well, I will when I figure it all out, right? I'm just going to keep reading books. I'm going to listen to one more podcast before I do. I hope this inspires you enough to take action because financial freedom is measured with two components, passive income being greater than monthly expenses. If right now you have zero passive income, you have zero chance to becoming financially free until you do, right? But once you start creating passive income, you can, if you want to, adjust the lever on the right side with monthly expenses. It's a lot more fun when you don't. And it's a lot more fun for me to increase the right side and try to see if I can't double the left side. I hope that you uh, found value. If you did, rate, review, subscribe to the show. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.